You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey there and welcome. In today's episode, we're talking about sleep, your sleep. Because you know what? Parents of infants and toddlers are among the most sleep-deprived people out there. You are running on empty. How can you help your child become one of those kids who sleeps through the night regularly so you can get some rest? And how can you create daily routines that set you up for peaceful nights? I've invited Joanna Clark of Blissful Baby Sleep Coaching to answer some of these questions for you. I always love talking about babies with Joanna. We just seem to be on the same page. And I know you're going to get some great insights on what you can do today to help your little one sleep well tonight. Here we go. So Joanna, thank you so much for joining me today and to talk about sleep, because that seems to be the biggest question that most people have is, how do I get my kid to sleep? How do I help my baby to establish good sleep habits? Well, thank you, Anne, for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be here. And I love talking about baby sleep and child sleep. You know, sleep is absolutely critical. I, the saying that I like to say to most of my families is sleep matters to everyone. So a child that is not sleeping, we worry about their health and development. We know how critical it is for them to have the appropriate amount of nighttime sleep, as well as the appropriate amount of daytime sleep, especially in the first three years of life. And we know that when they don't have the daytime and nighttime sleep expectations met, it will cause challenges in either developmental delays or behavioral challenges. And we also know that if a child is not sleeping, it means one or both parents are not sleeping. And so then we run into a whole nother situation where we have a family that is in crisis. They are sleep deprived. They are overwhelmed. Their professional life is suffering because they are not able to be as productive or focused during the day. When they come home to be a part of their family life, they tend to be short-tempered and irritable, uh, and perhaps a little cross with one another. So the parents are not having the harmony within their household that they once had before. So it tends to really ripple out to cause additional issues than just the child not sleeping. And my experience is, is that a lot of families don't like to talk about the fact that they're struggling with their child's sleep because they have this feeling that they should be able to figure it out or that it's natural. And therefore, if there's challenges, it's parents' fault. And so there's some shame around sleep or there's some shame around talking about the fact that there are some challenges around sleep at home. And what I want to do is demystify any of the shame and any of the, the guilt that a parent might have around sleep struggles because they are always solvable. That's the best part. They're always solvable. So that's how I want you, to you help people figure that out. Yes. Okay. So let's just kind of start with the very basic. And that is in the first three years of life, how much, how much sleep does a child actually need? Okay. So let me preface this. Um, in the first three years of life, I like to look at it in two sections, zero to six months 
is in the world, in the world of sleep science is its own sleep science section for sleep. Okay. So when people typically think of newborn sleep, they think of zero to three months, but I actually want to expand that to say that newborn sleep is considered between zero and six months. Okay. And between zero and six months, what is normal and appropriate is that typically a baby will sleep a lot during the daytime shift. So they will be taking anywhere between three and six naps a day, and they will have very short wakefulness periods. They will be awake for about 90 minutes. They will go asleep. They will be awake and asleep and awake and asleep all throughout. And so not each nap length is not as important as adding up all the nap cycles for that day to get as close to three and a half to five hours of daytime sleep spread between three to five naps. By the time they are six months of age, what is typical is they will do daytime sleep will be um, typically three naps a day, and they will be sleeping about three to three and a half hours of daytime sleep. And by six months, they will be doing between 10.5 to 12 hours of nighttime sleep. When they go from six year, six months to three years of age, things tend to vary, but typically the daytime sleep is ranging from three and a half hours down to as low as 1.5 hours of daytime sleep. And nighttime sleep will definitely be between 10 and 12 hours of nighttime sleep. Okay. So the nighttime sleep stays basically the same as the daytime sleep that really changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are some reasons that these patterns of sleep get disrupted. And I I think that we're probably talking about the nighttime sleep because that's um, where it is the most painful when it doesn't happen. (laughs) Exactly. So let's talk about typical nighttime sleep disruptions. There are several reasons for sleep disruptions. So the first is if a child is going into their milestones, they're in the first 20 months of life there are 10 developmental milestones. And at every milestone, there will absolutely unequivocally be sleep disruptions. And the reason why this is so critical to know is that when you know when your child's milestone is coming, you can anticipate the sleep disruption and not be burdened by it or run over by it. It it becomes a natural cycle in the caregiving Mm -hmm. of your child. And you tend to the child during what appears to be a sleep regression, but it's not really a sleep regression. It's the milestone causing the sleep disturbances, knowing that if the child masters the milestone, then the sleep disruption will end and they will go back to sleeping like they were before. The resource I love to offer families on that is the Wonder Weeks. If no one has ever heard of the Wonder Weeks, Uh, It is a fabulous resource, both in hard copy book, as well as a app on your phone. And it will alert you when a milestone is coming. And I love to have the hard copy book because when you go into the wonder weeks book, you can go to the leap that your child's in and read all about the phenomenal, incredible things that your child is trying to accomplish during this critical milestone. And it will often give you tremendous empathy and compassion for the disruptions because you're realizing the miracle of the milestone mm-hmm. that how much, how much they're changing and will be so different and so beautiful after the milestone ends. Right. 
I used to call that whenever uh, my kids were little, I called it periods of equilibrium and disequilibrium. You know, it's just like, like all of a sudden one day, everybody's just fussy. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. what happened? And then, you know, you realize. Right. In fact, I will tell you that the signs that you're in a milestone is if the child is cranky, taking short naps or skipping naps, waking multiple times a night and having long arousals in the night where the child is not easily soothed. One or four of those will happen during a milestone. And for some families, the milestones are extremely difficult and they get all four things and it could be really miserable. Mm -hmm. But again, if you understand what's happening, it becomes a lot easier to manage the challenge and to know that it has a beginning and an end. Just knowing it has an end, I think is probably the, the best thing to know. My daughter, my, my granddaughter is in one of those really hard times right now. I think she's experiencing three of those four things. She's really exactly. Exactly. Um, the next, um, cause for sleep disruptions is gross spurts. Those tend to be shorter sleep disruptions and it, it becomes obvious because your child is eating a ton and literally Mm -hmm. you will look at them the next morning and go, you grew last night. The pants don't fit. And it is funny in its own way, even though those sleep disruptions can be hard. Right. The next one is obvious, which is teething and illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obvious when, when those are happening, you know, you're going to have sleep disruptions. Um, another one is scheduling changes and those can include the time change. Right. We have one coming. It's uh, I believe it's what March, um, March 13th this year, 2022, uh, we're springing forward for some children, uh, a time change, either a seasonal time change or travel time changes can be extremely disruptive. Mm -hmm. It can take some children three to five days per hour. Wow. Time change to adjust to the new time zone. So those of you that already can tell that have children where seasonal time changes are challenging for them. If you're thinking of doing a big trip, that's going to be a three to five hour time change. You might want to be at that new destination long enough to give your child the opportunity to adjust, or you need to be realistic about the fact that you will continue to have sleep disruptions on that trip due to the time change element. Mm-hmm. Do you true. find that kids do better with um, the spring forward or fall back one over the other? No, not necessarily. Both of them are equally disruptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for different reasons, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, the the last reason why children have sleep disruptions is really the one I want to focus the most on in our conversation today. Okay. Which is that children have sleep disruptions if they tend to have a lot of negative sleep associations, also known as sleep crutches, which means that the child is dependent on a caregiver to help them go to sleep as well as go back to sleep. So a sleep crutch typically is, I have to rock my baby down. I have to nurse my baby down. I have to replug the pacifier a hundred times. Um, I have to hold my baby to sleep. So if something has to be done to or for a child at the onset of sleep in order to go to sleep, 
typically that child will want some version of that same assistance at every arousal point all night long. Mm -hmm. Now I want to be really clear about something in the newborn phase. Remember we talked about that. The newborn phase is a very delicate phase for sleep. It is very customary and appropriate to help our babies go to sleep and go back to sleep. So it's very customary between zero to six months to rock, hold, bottle feed, co-sleep, drive, wear them, whatever you need to do to help your baby go to sleep and go back to sleep in the newborn phase is totally normal and appropriate. Okay. You can't, that's a good thing to repeat zero to six months. You don't worry about it. Zero to six months. I believe, and I know Anne probably agrees with me that the newborn phase is really about connecting with your baby, establishing your nursing relationship. If that's something that you want, getting to know yourself as a parent, learning how to operate as a family and establishing attachment, which is and establishing the connection and attachment with your child Mm -hmm. and holding, rocking, wearing, being with co-sleeping, all of that can support that. And there is no habit that you would form in the six months that cannot be managed going forward. It's good to know. This is an aside. Um, I, whenever we used to get a new foster baby and they, we always got them real tiny. They would just come, come to us almost sometimes from the hospital. But, um, I always figured it, I figured it out. It took three all nights for me and this baby to become acquainted and begin the attachment process. And it happened in the wee hours of the night. Mm -hmm. I know you're tired, but those are, those are very, very sweet and important times with a baby. And, um, and so I just think that whole attachment thing is so, so important to, to mention. Right. Absolutely. And I also just want to relieve any guilt or concern that, uh, that a mom specifically might be feeling right now. If she's saying, I love to hold my baby. I love to wear my baby. I love to co-sleep with my baby. And people are telling me that that's not the right thing to do, or people are telling me I'm going to be forming bad habits and I'm never, I'm going to be, you know, not be able to solve them in the future. And I want to say to you that that's all not true that in zero to six months, really, it is all about helping your baby go. It is totally appropriate to do whatever you feel is right to help your baby go to sleep and go back to sleep. Okay. Now, when we have children that are six months to three years of age, sometimes the sleep crutches that we loved and cherished and appreciated in our newborn phase when we cross over into these older baby phase zones, sometimes those sleep crutches that we had that worked beautifully and magically, sometimes they start to lose some of their reliability. Now it's not so easy. Now it takes a long time to nurse down. Now, instead of waking twice a night, they're waking six times a night. Now um, the baby won't let dad rock the baby to sleep. And now it's mom all night. Like you'll start to notice that the, the way in which you were previously successful 
and helping your baby go to sleep and go back to sleep is now becoming more difficult. And the menu of things that your child is requiring of you is getting bigger and longer and more complex. That is a sign of something that we call sleep crutch escalation. And when a child starts to have sleep crutch escalation it is actually a signal that the child is ready to learn independent sleep skills. And when I say the words independent sleep skills, what I want everyone to understand is that although sleep is a biological need, it is also simultaneously a learned skill. And there are three skills that a child needs to learn in order to be a successful independent sleeper. The first skill is self-regulation. Second skill is self-settling. And third skill is self-soothing. So they have to learn three independent skills, and then they have to learn how to use that in tandem. And they have to learn how to use that skill at the onset of sleep at bedtime is the easiest time for them to learn that skill. They don't know how to do what's called drowsy but awake at the onset of sleep at bedtime. They are definitely not going to know how to do it in the middle of the night. And they're certainly not going to know how to do it at nap cycles. So a big mistake, a lot of families come to me and they say, I don't have problems at night, but my naps are a disaster. But when I start asking, what are they doing at the onset of sleep at bedtime? I find out that there's tons and tons of sleep crutches at the onset of sleep, but the parent was trying to make the baby sleep independently during the day. They didn't want to spend all the time and effort necessary on the sleep crutches in the daytime shift. And they were like leaving the child unattended, hoping they'd figure it out. But what I really want to impart on everybody is that sleep is a learned skill. And we therefore have to create the optimal environment and the optimal circumstances for the child to learn their skills of sleep. And the learning begins at bedtime at the onset of sleep. And so when I, when people say, I might have to sleep train my child, or I might have to sleep coach my child, there's usually this big visceral, <gasps> scared, yucky response. But I want to reframe all of that. And I want you to recognize that indeed, all sleep training is, is creating the right environment and the right circumstances to help your baby learn how to self-regulate, self-settle, and self-soothe to sleep at the onset of sleep at bedtime so that they can begin to use that skill at each arousal all night long. And once they've learned how to consolidate all their nighttime sleep, then it sets up the foundation for them to have really strong nighttime sleep skills. And then those sleep skills can be then taught again, creating those optimal conditions to do nap training so that they can begin to take that skill set and be and using that during the daytime shift. So when you're sleep training, it can take typically anywhere between two and six weeks for a child to build those skills at all those incremental zones, right? Onset of sleep, arousal one, arousal two, arousal three, arousal four, and then nap, nap number one onset, right? So all of that, and you can always sleep train and marry that with your, your sleep plan, excuse me, your nursing plan. So if you're a nursing mom, fantastic. You can always do a bedtime feed. 
You can always do a morning feed and you can do as many of the middle of the night feeds as you want. And you can still feed before sleep at nap times. So there is no division between being a nursing mom and having a big, gorgeous, awesome sleeper. You can have both. You know, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking about these little six month olds, you know, they've, they've got this huge task that you've described of learning how to self-regulate and self-settle and self-soothe all at the same time. They are learning to move themselves forward and then go upright and begin to stand up and walk and all of that. There's just so much going on developmentally. And um, it's just a lot. If you think about how much a little baby has to do in such a short period of time, it's really, it's really something that they are able to even manage. All that. And it is amazing because again, if we're always looking, all this is like, this is why I'm so glad I'm here talking to a child development specialist, because I want everyone to understand that sleep is through this developmental lens, like in their first three years of life, absolutely. They need sleep for healthy development. And from a child development point of view, it is a learned skill, just like the walking, excuse me, just like the crawling to the standing, to the walking, to the talking, those are all learned skills too. And we had to create the right environment and circumstances for them to learn and master those skills. Sleep needs to be put inside of that container that as a parent, it is my role and obligation to create that optimal environment and circumstances for my child to learn. Now let's be honest. Some babies are what we call lucky learners. Right. They just do it. They just are just good sleepers. And a parent doesn't have to do a whole lot of thinking um, or planning around how that baby is going to learn those independent sleep skills. Mm -hmm. But there are other babies that are complex babies. They are, they are what I call beyond the book babies. These are babies that really are more challenging and harder to figure out, in which case they are always, it's always solvable, but it might take some more time and effort and consideration to create those optimal circumstances for them, mm-hmm. that they might need some more specialization in the, the optimal circumstances for them to learn their right. sleep skills. Right. Yeah. If you even think about it in terms of um, solid foods, you know, like mm-hmm. Most babies will take pretty much all, all liquids, all milk until around six months of age. And then they just begin with a real gentle introduction of foods, you know, just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And then by the time they're two years old, they're eating almost everything on the table, but that it's such a long stretch. And it's almost as if they need that same long stretch to, you know, not, I guess not that long to figure it out, but because it's changing with every developmental milestone, Uh they do have to relearn how to self-regulate and self-soothe and self-settle themselves throughout the, throughout the night. Uh And so it's really, it's all very tied in together, isn't it? It is all tied in together. And, and, and I think that when parents really view it through that lens, then they are not going to be intimidated Mm -hmm. to make sleep a priority. And they're not going to be intimidated to say, 
hey, I'm noticing my child is having a lot of sleep crutches and maybe I need to help them learn some sleep independence. Mm -hmm. And that by having that as a, as, a, as a goal and a priority for your family, it is actually the most loving thing you can do is to have a child that has lifelong sleep skills, right? Mm -hmm. We yeah. want that for our children. We want it for our eight-year-olds and our 12-year-olds. Absolutely. Year -olds. And I work, I work with families all the way up to age six. So, you know, it, it, this is, so, so the idea that a child will just figure it out or the child will grow out of the sleep struggles is a myth. They do not grow out of it. It is a learned skill. So you have to teach them. Okay. So let's get some practical tips here for some parents who might be listening and thinking, okay, that all sounds nice and good, but tell me what I can do tonight. <laughs> what, are, what are a few tips that you might have for folks? Okay. Well, so, you know, there, one of the big things is, is that a child really does need those daytime sleep expectations. Um, it is, you've probably heard the saying sleep begets sleep. And that is very true. So for a child that has choppy naps, um, and is not meeting those daytime sleep expectations that I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, then th what will happen is they will have more sleep disruptions in the middle of the night and bedtime will typically be more arduous. So one of the best things you can do is really start focusing on getting great daytime sleep. The second thing you can start to do is after the child gets good daytime sleep, it becomes a lot easier to determine and discern what the right uh, what we call sleep window is for the child at the onset of sleep at bedtime. So what happens to a lot of families is they end up um, keeping the child up too late. Uh, and then of course, when a child goes to bed overtired, again, the child is going to have lots of arousals in the middle of the night uh, and bedtime can often be where the child's really fighting sleep. So for a lot of families, they, um, they don't, they are by accident, keeping the child up far longer in between the end of afternoon nap and bedtime. So that looking at the sleep windows is really important. Um, and then the third thing that they can do is um, really focus in on the, the, the information. So, so what happens to a lot of families is they're not, they're, they're searching too many places to get advice and support on what to do about the sleep situation. So they're talking to their mom, their sister, their aunt, then they're talking to their girlfriends. And then they're talking to, they're looking at 10 different blogs and they're looking at 10 different mommy groups and they're getting overwhelmed and confused and worse, they're getting conflicted information. So when it comes to sleep, I think it's really important to focus in on one or two resources that you really trust. Um, you know, pick maybe one book that you're going to read and commit to whatever the philosophy is on the book. I personally love the book, Kim, um, good night sleep tight by Kim West. Um, it's focused on gentle sleep coaching and, uh, it has a fabulous index. So it makes it very easy for a busy mom to get the information she needs. And then I would only follow one or two sleep experts that way you're getting consistent and reliable information. Um, and that way you'll bring clarity to anything that you are trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So those advice. are the three things that I would recommend is fill the sleep tank during the day, focus on the bedtime sleep window and make sure the information that you're getting is accurate and reliable and consistent from one or two sources instead of a variety of sources. Great, great, uh, great advice. You know, it, it just seems like so much of our, our parenting learning 
starts with observing our child and really paying close attention to them and seeing what is going on with them and then making your decisions based on that. And, and so finding those sleep windows and, and carefully, you know, monitoring a day sleep and all that stuff, it's, it's really an important part. And even observing your own behavior and getting all this advice and, and then becoming overwhelmed. I, I remember doing that as a mom and. Oh yeah. We've um, all done it. I mean, so, I mean, I've done it too, right? I mean, here we are making a podcast, giving people advice on sleep. It's just another voice out there. It is another voice, but I, um, I really believe that, um, you know, the other thing that I, I definitely believe in, and probably also because I, I, I was a sleep deprived mom myself. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I became a sleep coach is because I knew how miserable it was to be that confused, overwhelmed parent. Um, and I vowed to never, I wanted to be the person that could help those, those in the same situation. Um, and so finding a, building a relationship with a certified and trained sleep consultant can be life-changing because your child will go through multiple, multiple changes in their sleep behaviors between zero and six years of age. Mm -hmm. And it is really a valuable, um, asset to have a trained and certified sleep coach that you admire and trust to go and get that accurate, reliable information. Um, and a lot of people are afraid to reach out to sleep coaches. Um, but I want you to know that we are really nice people where, um, we do this out of love because we've typically been sleep deprived ourselves. And, um, we want our mommies to sleep because I like to say that I, I want to, I want to start a well-rested family revolution. Um, that is where, where my mission is, is I want a well-rested family revolution. I want all families in the U S to be well-rested because in that way, the children are getting their healthy growth and development and the parents are feeling energized and focused and can be the parent and the professional and the friend that they want to be out in the world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really great. Yeah. I know your heart is uh, so genuine and that you really love what you do. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what would be a good way for them to find you, Joanna? Okay, great. So again, my name is Joanna Clark with Blissful Baby Sleep Coaching. You can find me on my website. I have tons of free resources there. So I absolutely recommend that you take advantage of those. If you want to speak to me directly, you can just go to my contact me page and you fill out the form and I will contact you within 24 hours and we will schedule a one hour session to talk to me because I'm a big believer in that moms need to be able to talk to a live person and get their questions answered. And that is what I strive to do. And then I'm also on social media on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and it's under blissful baby sleep. Great. We will put all of those links in the show notes and you guys can go and find Joanna and, and learn from her. That's, that's really great. Thank you so much. This has just been very, very uh, insightful. And I know that you are going to really be helping a lot of people kind of get their head around that. Even uh, expectant parents, you know, they can start thinking about it now because I know that it's it's on their mind. So thank you so much for being with me here. Thank you so much. If you love today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. 
Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey.